This morning I'd like to talk about one aspect of our experience that is so predominant and is so determinative of much of what happens in our lives and an aspect that even though it's so predominant we rarely pay careful attention to something that you're very familiar with and that is how to relate skillfully to all the thoughts or images that are arising in the mind. You know, as you've seen, and how almost anybody's seen who just sits down even for five minutes and meditates, <coughs> become aware of the proliferation of thought in the mind. And ordinarily, in the course of kind of our ordinary lives, these thoughts come, we get lost in them, caught up in them, often act on them, and even when we don't act on them, they still have the power to condition strong emotions within us. So it's a very powerful force. But what's so amazing about applying mindfulness to thought as an object is that when we see that when we are mindful that we're thinking, the thoughts have no power at all. We see them as just this very passing, insubstantial, empty phenomena arising and passing through just like a sound arises and passes through. And yet when we're not aware that we're thinking, they have this incredible power in our lives. You know, our thoughts are saying, go here, go there, do this, do that. And we just follow along like puppies on a leash. <laughs> you know, and that's, our lives are just the unfolding to a large extent of our relationship and our acting out of all the conditioned thoughts that are arising. So it's really important, an important part of the practice is to hone our skill in becoming aware of thought as they appear in the mind quicker, kind of closer to the beginning. Now, I think we've mentioned earlier that uh, as we observe thought, we see that we often become aware of them after they're over. We reckon, oh, I've been thinking, you know, and we're looking back at it. Occasionally, we can become aware of the thought in the middle. And when the mind is quite clear, we can be aware of a thought just as it's arising. So this takes practice, you know, including thought as an object of meditation. So we're strengthening our ability to be aware of them as close to the beginning as possible. As with so many other aspects of the practice, there are different levels of attending to thought. And each level has its own benefit, has its own use. So, for example, the first thing we might want to do, and you probably have been doing this to some extent, is simply being aware that we're thinking. So a thought arises in the mind, and as soon as you become mindful of it, at whatever point whether after it's over, in the middle, at the beginning, 
there's a simple acknowledgement and the acknowledgement is uh, strengthened, the habit of awareness is strengthened uh, by using the soft mental note, particularly with thinking. Uh, I think that's one of the arenas where the mental noting is particularly helpful. Uh, And so simply to make the note, thinking, thinking, we're actually acknowledging, yes, this is what's happening, and then coming back to whatever the anchor is. The next level or step, and this you could begin doing this today if you haven't already, is to become aware more specifically of the very common thought patterns. What are the, what are the top ten tunes? You know, that just keep coming back again and again. And for each of us, they may be different, although I think it would be surprising to realize how much is in common in terms of the patterns of our thoughts. For example, how many plans have you made since you've been here? You know, and so planning, that's a common, common tendency. Uh, and they're very seductive. You know, they, they really uh, pull us in to all these future fantasies of what we need to do or want to do. So to keep an eye out, planning mind, and to make that specific note when you see it. So you're reinforcing the mindfulness of that pattern. And because it's a common pattern, it will be very useful, you know, very often. It might be <clears throat> the pattern of judging, you know, either judging others or judging oneself. That would be really useful to see so that we don't get identified with those judging thoughts. The judgment itself is not a problem. You know, it's a conditioned habit of mind that we almost all of us have. The problem arises when we're not aware that it's there and we're identified with it. And so we're giving, we're giving the judgment energy from the inside. You know, and we're strengthening it through our identification with that thought. Instead of seeing it as simply a thought arising, passing, when we're seeing the impermanence and emptiness of thought in that way, the content doesn't really matter. It does matter, the content is very important, when we choose to either identify or act on the thought. Because that's where the discernment of which thoughts are skillful, which are unskillful, is so important. But from the meditative perspective, we're just watching the phenomena, the flow, the passing flow of phenomena, and we're seeing thought just as another arising phenomena, the content is not that important. In fact, it's not important at all. It's just something coming and going. The reason for naming and labeling make making a soft mental note of the predominant patterns for us will help to keep the mind in that place of openness and non-identification with those patterns that arise most frequently for us, that are most seductive for us. All this clear? So really look, just see how planning judging, commenting, remembering, 
you know, a lot, a lot of our thoughts are really just about past and future. Uh-huh. In fact, it would be interesting for you to just uh, not exactly keep count, but <laughs> just out of interest in the back of your mind to see if you can become aware of just how many of our thoughts are past and future. You know, and it'll really give a strong indication of uh, the challenge of staying in the present, given this conditioning of our thought patterns. Um, so the next level of awareness of thought, we go just thinking, thinking, <coughs> excuse me, first acknowledgement. And then when we feel a little uh, somewhat comfortable or understanding or easeful with practicing mindfulness of thinking, 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 then give a little more attention to the kind of thought, you know, of the predominant, the predominant patterns. And you can give a more specific label. There's a third level (coughs) of attending to thoughts, and it's the one which in some way I find the most interesting. And that is when, <clears throat> when there are a lot of thoughts happening, when this, you know, we're, we're in a stream of thought, that would be a particularly good time to ask a question of oneself that Almost nobody ever asks. It's a very unusual question for people going through life. <clears throat> and the question is, you know, as we're just in this stream of thinking, to ask the question, what is a thought? Now, what is the thought saying? So we, we've dropped from that level, from the content but what actually is a thought as a phenomenon? Uh, to me, this is fascinating <laughs> because it's such an interesting phenomenon. When thoughts are happening and we're asking the question, well, what is a thought? What, what is this? We see quite quickly, this, this does not take years of practice to see, we see how ephemeral and empty and insubstantial a thought is. You know, we're just sitting, feeling the breath, feeling the body. A thought arises, and if we're attentive to the fact that thinking is present, well, what is that? It's actually little more than nothing. It's just this tiny little energy condensation into words, something like that. There's not much there. And we can see this. We can see when we're mindful of them, we see the thoughts. And just in that moment of awareness, it often will disappear because we're not feeding it. We're not identified with it. We're not lost in it. So this, to me, is what's quite remarkable as a particular phenomenon that when we are unaware that we're thinking, the thoughts dominate our lives. 
They're such a powerful force in our lives. They're directing us. It's like they're little dictators of the mind. And yet when we are aware of them, we see that (laughs) there's really almost nothing there. It's just this little burst of thought energy that comes and goes and has no impact at all. So it shows, you know, in a very immediate way, the power of mindfulness. Without it, we're just lost in our stories. And with it, we can see thought itself as being so empty and insubstantial and transparent and without much power at all. So I would suggest if If you're interested in this investigation, instead of seeing a proliferation of thoughts as a problem, you could just use that time, since thoughts at a particular time may be predominant, that would be a good time to really look. You're having lots of opportunities to ask the question, oh, well, what is this? What is a thought? And... And it's not so much, the purpose of the question is not so much to come up with an answer. So it's not, this is not really a metaphysical question. The question is simply a way of directing the mindfulness and the awareness just to look directly at the nature of thought itself as a phenomenon, not the content. You know, on this level, It's not about the content. It's just about what the thought is in itself. So these are a few of the levels. You know, if if you're taking interest in, in this arena, these are some of the levels. First, just to be aware that you're thinking, then acknowledging acknowledging the content of the predominant pattern, planning, remembering, judging, whatever. And third is, okay, well, what is a thought? You know, and just, just explore, uh, you know, out of your own interest in this. There are a few other elements of working with thought that can really uh, <clears throat> enliven your practice. First... <clears throat> To, be, to become aware of what your habitual response is to becoming aware that you've been thinking. Okay, we're sitting with the body, with the breath, with different sensations, and everything that's been described, we're kind of opening the field. Thought comes, we're not aware of it, we get caught up in the train of association, we're carried along for a while, and then at a certain point we wake up from being lost. It would be interesting for you to see, okay, what's your first reaction when you wake up from being lost? One, did I mention this last night? It's ringing a familiar bell. First reaction is often just rushing back to whatever the object is, you know, or a normal anchor. We wake up from being lost in the thought, back to the breath, 
So that's kind of a normal, normal response. Or we wake up from being lost in the thought and then have, even if it's a small little moment of self-judgment, lost again. You know, I'll never get this. There's a third alternative which will turn all of that around. And that is understanding that for as many times as you've been lost, exactly that many times do you wake up. Because nobody's lost in thought forever. And so pay attention to that moment of going from the delusion or ignorance of being lost, where something's happening and we don't know that it's happening, when we're lost in the thinking process, right in that moment, that moment of transition from being lost to becoming awake, that's a very powerful and instructive moment because we can experience directly, not theoretically, we have just gone from ignorance to wisdom, from delusion to awareness. We've actually just had that experience every time we wake up from being lost in a thought. So don't just skip over it. Actually highlight, oh, being lost felt like this. Being awake feels like this. You know, so we're highlighting the difference in our experience of these two states, of being lost in a thought or being aware that we're thinking and so it gives us a very <clears throat> uh, immediate uh, understanding of what awareness is, of what ignorance is, of what being lost is, of what being awake is. And, and again, this, this, in these moments, this is, this is not conceptual. We're actually having that experience. So every time you wake up from being lost in some thought chain, it would be helpful if you could recondition your habit going from self-judgment, lost again, to appreciation Oh, awake again, right? Highlights, highlight the experience. Oh, you know, I've been lost and now the mind is awake, it's aware. And if you're really connected and paying attention to what that wakefulness feels like, as opposed to kind of the delusion of just having been lost and caught, there is a great delight in all these moments of waking up. Uh, so you can have a sitting and you can almost turn your whole uh, assessment uh, machine around and <laughs> it's almost appreciating all the many times you've been lost when you're highlighting that each of those times is also a moment to appreciate the wakefulness. Oh, good. Awake again. 
then the mind brightens. So that could give you many moments of delight in a sitting. Because we get lost a lot. But instead of emphasizing the lost part, emphasize the awake part. And it it really energizes the practice, and it's a reminder of what we're doing here. You know, it takes us takes us beyond the practice as a technique to the practice as a vehicle for direct learning about our experience. You know. So we're going from the methodology of mindfulness to what we learn from being mindful. And this is a powerful learning. You know, this contrast between, and, and real understanding, the difference between ignorance and delusion and wakefulness and awareness. And it's right in those moments of transition. It's just in that moment when we wake up from being lost that this becomes very, very clear. So, so this will be a very rich domain you know, for you to explore. And we'll go on in subsequent days. There's a, very, there's a very direct connection between thought and emotion. You know, and so then we'll, in the next, next few days we'll be talking about including all the emotions that are arising in the practice as objects of mindfulness meditation. So then it gets very rich you know, exploring the whole emotional terrain and how we relate to the emotions, whether I, we're identified with them or not, what conditions different emotions. You really begin to understand that dynamic of thought and emotion and how they're mutually uh, interdependent, conditioning each other. Uh, so there's a lot. It's, it's an incredibly rich practice you know, as we open up to all these different arenas of our experience. Okay, so can just take your comfortable posture. <clears throat> Settling into the body, there is a body creating that larger framework and always keeping it very simple just there is a body feeling yourself sitting and whatever arises within that frame of there is a body you often naturally feel the body breathing because that's always going on Letting the breath be however it is. It's not a breathing exercise. It's an exercise in awareness. Not pulling the next breath in, but letting it find its own time. Mindful of any particular bodily sensations that call your attention. Opening to them, feeling them, seeing how they change.
with the breath, setting that intention at the beginning of each breath to stay steady for the entire duration of that single breath, really playing with that intentionality dial. Staying alert for the arising of thoughts and images in the mind in just the ways I've been talking about.
you have any questions about the instructions this morning or things arising in your practice? Okay, so I'm not, I don't really know what he's referring to because I haven't been in a lot of uh, discussions with him. Uh, So I'll just say what I imagine (laughs) the difference might be. Uh, He he often uses the example uh, of what light awareness is or the fact that it doesn't need much force. It's you know, it suggests that people just become aware of seeing. You know, when you turn your attention to seeing, does it take any effort to be seeing? You know, or to be aware that we're seeing when we remember? There's no, there's no forcing or tightening or particular effort that's needed other than to be present. But that other than to be present is a big clause. <laughs> uh, so I think it's that, you know, that it has to do, as I was talking last night about uh, really looking at how we're making effort. You know, is, is there a kind of agenda in the mind or a wanting in the mind or expectation in the mind? Or is this simply being present and aware of what's arising? So that's, that's it's very simple. That's very light in that sense. But that lightness of attention is not in contradistinction to a continuous steadiness on the object. So those are two different things. We can have the light awareness and still have that intentionality to settle into the experience, even of a single breath or a single step, unbroken, right? With unbroken attention. So I think that's. He sort of uses it. Yeah, but it's different because uh, they're referring to do different things. One is the steadiness of continuity, and one is the energy with which we're paying attention. You know, and so uh, he'll often, as I understand, he'll often use that phrase "light awareness" in in distinguish it from what I would say anyway, is an over-intense focusing. So it's not, <coughs> okay, I'm going to be attentive to the breath. So it's not that. It's light in that sense. It's just settled back, receptive, letting experience come. It's that Taoist. It's really, 
he has a certain Taoist uh, uh, approach in terms of lightness and just seeing the emptiness of it all. But the more or less mindful is not about that. It's about how steady we are in whatever the, the experience is. So I'll just say one more thing, and it relates a little bit to this. People often have the question, well, when should I really have a directed awareness on the breath or a movement? You know, we're, we're choosing an object to be with. And what's the relationship of that to open, choiceless awareness? Where we're not choosing, we're just open to whatever is arising. Both of these are important components of the practice and interweave with one another. So it's not that it's one or the other, it's both. It's important to develop a foundation of steadiness with attending to a primary object, whatever it may be. It could be the breath, it could be something else. And the effort to come back to it and to keep the mind steady, and this is the development of one-pointedness, of undistractedness, of steadiness of mind. When we practice that, and this could be We could, we could practice this alternation within one sitting or over a period of time. And so we establish some level of stability and then we open up to a more choiceless mode. Whatever's arising, we're just paying attention to that without a primary object at that time. But then in doing that more choiceless awareness, I think almost everybody will feel a certain diminishment of stability after some time. Right? And so that's, that's the time to, okay, come back to a more directed awareness, establish that steadiness, then go to an open awareness. And this is very intuitive. There's no, there's no formula for it, but just feel into your own practice and see what's appropriate at a particular time, knowing that they're both important and they feed each other. So they're interwoven. Depending on the activity we're engaged in, there are different levels of mindfulness that are appropriate. 
So when we're engaged in some conceptual process and often in a creative process, right, where we want to allow the mind, we say free associate or just, you know, let the mind open to kind of a wide range of what might come up because that's of value in that activity. Or if you're trying to read a book, for example, if you're going seeing, 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 <laughs> you're not going to get very far. <laughs> you know, and after a while, you're, just, you're seeing black on white. You know. So we have to acknowledge that there are times when we want to be engaged on the conceptual level, that that's what's appropriate to the activity we're engaged with. But there is a kind of mindfulness that my first teacher, Manindraji, spoke of, which could be applicable even at that times, those times, when, when we're allowing the mind that kind of freedom of, uh, you might say, wandering or f- free association. And he, call, he called it a kind of general mindfulness that's not specific and not pinpointed. It's just a general mindfulness in the background which will become aware whenever an unwholesome mind state arises within that activity. So it's not interfering with the activity, but there's enough awareness to know if the mind gets triggered into a reactivity of wanting or greed or judgment or whatever it is that is not wholesome, not skillful, that general mindfulness will pick it up. And at that point, we might, oh, what's going on here? You know, at that point, we might step out of that process and really examine in a more careful way. But when that is not happening, then we just let it go you know, for that period of time, for that activity. No, the walking in nature is not the problem. And, and that can be actually very beautiful. And the Buddha spoke a lot in praise of being in the forest and you know, the peace of it and being in nature. So that can be a beautiful aspect of our practice. But applying the practice at that time is exactly the same as what we do in the whole sitting So as you're walking through nature, you want to be aware of your moment-to-moment experience. And just what I was talking about a few moments ago, there could be this interweaving of times you're walking, for example, in the forest. And so for some time you could really be in the body, feeling each step, just like you were doing walking meditation, but maybe it's at a little faster speed. But you're walking attending to the feeling of the body moving. The mind wanders. You you get caught up in some 
thought, become aware of it, and then come back to the movement. So that's one... uh, You could start, for example, with that kind of attentiveness. And then, at a certain point, if you feel the mind somewhat steady and present, you could be walking through the woods then with a more open awareness, where moment after moment... This is, this is a question to hold in the mind that can help bring the mind into that place of open awareness. It's just the question, whether it's sitting or walking formal meditation or walking in the woods, holding the question moment after moment, what is being known? Just what is being known? And in holding that question, you'll see a very rapid flow of different phenomena through all the sense doors of what's being known. You're walking in, okay, the feeling of the body is being known, a sound is being known, seeing, a sight is being known, and then feeling the body. Maybe you feel peaceful, and so that mind state is being known. With that question, it just allows us to settle back in a very open, receptive way to the whole range of phenomena happening through the six sense doors. In Buddhism, it's the five physical senses and the mind. And then, as you're walking through the woods in that more open awareness, maybe you'll find that the mind's losing its steadiness, and you're just getting carried away in thought trains. So then come back to a more directed awareness, feeling specifically the movement of the body, movement of each step. So in a way, it's it's the same practice, whether you're in the woods or you're in the hall. I think we need to go. Uh, there'll be interviews uh, scheduled. Uh, so I just want to leave you with a, a, a mantra of continuity that you can use to remind yourself. Very simple. It's a two-word mantra. Each step. That's the mantra. Each step. So just remind yourself to be mindful of each step. It's not only in walking, it's going from the hall, leaving the hall, going to your walking spot, okay? Each step. And what that will do, and you can even add this, this works against the tendency, the very slight energetic tendency to be rushing or leaning forward or when we're ahead of ourselves. And especially as we're in transition going from one place to another, it's just so common to... Okay, now I'm in my walking spot. <laughs> you are always in your walking spot. <laughs> so don't wait. You don't have to wait to a special spot. <laughs> Each step. Have fun. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.